Let's not pretend that we didn't know that Chocopee gets her hand-me-downs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for joining us on The Champlin Project. I'm John Cox, and I'm joined by Steve Boynton in our journey to share interesting stories from Champlin's past while highlighting current events. Good day, Steve. Morning, John. It is a good day, and it's a great day for this story. This is an interesting one. Yes, so today, folks, we have another development story from our past, and like some others, it involves a young Steve Boynton, and covers nearly 20 years. This one we're calling George, R.W., and the Great White Elephant. You know, these stories about young Steve Boynton, I'm, I'm not sure I like all these. <laughs> well, but if, I guess when you grow up in Champlin, and we're talking about Champlin stories, I was going to be a young Steve Boynton for most of them, right? You were, and Champlin was a small town of farms. We'll learn more today about you being a farmhand back in those days. So let's get into it. So the year is 1975, and a gentleman named George Rivera, a Champlin resident and a real estate developer, secured approvals for an 80,000-square-foot shopping center at the northwest corner of Douglas Drive on 109th. At that time, it was called the Brittany Square Shopping Center. Today, it is occupied by a small retail center that's anchored by El Toro and Cullen's Ice Cream, among other things. So to put this into a little perspective, John, in 1975 in Champlin, this was big news. This was... Mm-hmm. This was a proposed shopping mall, if you could call it a mall. But for Champlin, this was a shopping mall. And in 1975, Champlin was literally a bunch of farms, a tiny little village. Douglas Drive and 109th were rural two-lane roads. There were no utilities. Sewer and water wasn't going to be there for years. And so... This was a big deal. It was adjacent to Bennett's Truck Farm, which was a farm that, as a kid, I worked on for four years during high school. And so to hear that this little farming area, and specifically the farm I worked on, Mm -hmm. that a part of it was going to become a shopping mall, that was a big deal. So this is only four years after Champlin became a city, mostly farms. What did these farms grow? What took place on the property at Bennett Trucking Farm? <laughs> well, a truck farm is is exactly that. It's a farm where they grow a bunch of produce, truck it down to the farmer's market in Minneapolis and sell it. So oh. you're selling your goods via truck. It is not a farm where you send it to grain elevators and it gets shipped. This is you plant it, grow it, load it on a truck and go sell it. And on Bennett's farm, that meant green beans and squash and watermelon and corn and and tomatoes and pumpkins and you name it. It is just about everything imaginable. And then we would uh, load that up, head down to the farmer's market and sell it on the weekends. And and that that was really the case with a lot of farms in Champlain. We also had a radish farm and a gladiola farm that were very specific. But, you know, most, well, all of the farms in Champlin back then were truck farms. They were, uh, you sell your wares right out of the back of your truck. 
The city's approval was contingent on Rivera being able to build on-site utilities. It would be septic and well. Again, as you mentioned, the whole area was farms. There wasn't sewer. There wasn't city water. Those were years in the future. At the same time, uh, you know, Champlin, besides farms, was only a town of 5,000 people. Homes ranged in price from ten to 20000 As you look to the south, down towards Brooklyn Park, there was no development down there. There was not a 610. There wasn't a Champlin Park High School. But <laughs> Champlin was simply a small agricultural island with a few roads that went in and out. And 1975, there was a young Steve Boynton that uh, lived in the neighborhood but didn't go to Champlain Park, went to Anoka. What else can you recall from that announcement in 1975? Well, again, as a kid in this little rural farming community, the thought of being able to go to a mall was pretty exciting, Uh, you know, and it was built as a mall. Any opportunity to go to uh, the big city would have been Brookdale and Brooklyn Park, you know, (laughs) where you could actually go somewhere and get something to eat or buy some clothes. That just wasn't available in Champlain. So, uh, you know, as a kid, again, I'm sure even as an adult living in Champlain, but as a teenage kid, this was big news. A mall in our town, we were excited. This was potentially a hangout spot, too, that they were going to be developing. Where did a kid hang out in Champlain prior to this announcement? Well, that's just the thing. You you really didn't. You had to go somewhere else. There wasn't anywhere <laughs> to hang out in Champlain. There was the old Tasty Freeze right by the Mill Pond where 169 intersects uh, West River Road. And you could go up there, get an ice cream cone, and swim in the Mill Pond. But in terms of hanging out, that was about it. So. Yes, folks, you heard it here. Going to the mill pond, I can't imagine wanting to swim in the mill pond, but but that was a regular activity for kids in the area back then, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you could bike there because all the roads were just, you know, rural two-lane roads with not a whole lot of traffic. So parents said, yeah, head on up there, get an ice cream cone and swim. <laughs> Well, so the the plans were approved in 1975, but George did not start construction until the middle of 77 because besides the lack of utilities, he had another dilemma. Soon after he announced his plans, his major tenant, a grocery store, decided to pull out. So for most people, this would have just killed the project, but not with George Rivera. And instead of killing the project, he just delayed it until 1977. So he moved forward, and eventually 77 became early 80s, and the project still was unfinished and was moving at a snail's pace. Well, you know, as a kid in high school, when you hear an announcement that there's going to be a mall built in Uh 75, you know, the world's it seems like that ought to happen in about a year or so, and this is going to be a a good thing. By 1977, I was a senior in high school, and they had just started tipping up panels, but the allure of having a place to hang out in high school was kind of long gone. Everybody is now preparing to move on to college, and yeah, great, this mall is starting to be built, and maybe when I come home for the summers, there'll be something there, but 
yeah, it had already for for the youth of Champlin kind of lost its luster in the delay. Well, there was a lot of talk in the town, not only amongst the townspeople, but at the city council meetings. A review of the agenda show it was a regular item of concern regarding public safety and its lack of progress. And then making matters worse is these texturized TIPA panels were being built on site. So it looked a little bit like an outdoor industrial yard as George was building them all on site. And it was also in the early 80s that the Champlain Dayton Press aptly named the building the Great White Elephant. And that name has basically stuck around for another 12 years after that. So all of the goings-ons behind the scene with the Champlain City Council, as you can imagine, as a senior in high school, you're blissfully unaware of whatever's going on. But you do see these white panels being manufactured on site and <laughs> being tipped up. So you're still optimistic something's going to happen. But I end up going away to college and and then moved right from college out east found my way all the way back to Champlain a decade later. So I returned to Champlain in 1988 to start attending law school. And when I arrived here in 88, now married and about to start law school, one of the first things I see when I come back to Champlain is the white elephant still sitting (laughs) in the exact state that it was when I left in 1978. And during that period of time, too, there was actually a court case that the city of Champlin took George Rivera to task to to mandate that he either finish the project or he tear it down. And much to the chagrin of the Champlin City Council, the response on that action was George could continue to build his project and was only required to do make progress every six months to keep his building permit. So the courts and the state of Minnesota was not very helpful to the cause. Well, it's funny, having been gone for a decade, coming back, seeing this building still there, you know, you wonder what the heck's going on. But in 1988, I got appointed to the Champlain Planning Commission and then joined the city council in 1990. So all these years later, now I'm now I'm directly involved in what you're describing, these lawsuits trying to force him to either finish this mall that he started more than a decade earlier or tear it down, and then to find out that the courts ultimately decide that all he has to do is pour one square foot of concrete once a month, and he gets to keep his building permit active. Talk about disheartening. Holy cow. So it it just was almost surreal to come back that much later and now be involved in the drama around this, you know, mall that was we were all so excited about at one point. Well, I think people can appreciate if they're not familiar with the building. I think a lot of people were around during what we'll call the Great Recession, 2006, 2007, 2008, you know, with all the foreclosures. And people were impacted by some vacant properties in their community. And they know what that's like to have a vacant property in their neighborhood for a couple of years. This went on for over a dozen years. And it's not a small house. It's a 80,000 square foot shopping center that has now trees growing through the roof because it's not been well maintained. But you, now city council, you and the council decided you were going to take action, correct? 
Yeah, it got to a point where we just had to, you know, the ridicule uh, in the articles of Champlain Dayton Press and the constant complaints and people who would attend the council meetings and talk about this white elephant. It became almost unbearable, particularly for Mayor Bill Haas, who just it became his personal mission to put an end to this thing. And so in 1992, we actually started working with some local folks, Vern Reynolds, uh, Frank Wiedema, and a young Bill Ramsey, who was working with the two of them, who had an idea that we might be able to get rid of this. So that is the RW in our title. RW is actually Reynolds and Wiedema, a local development company. So the council is engaged with RW. There's an agreement that's reached. Basically, the agreement says RW will demolish the building. They'll extend utilities to the site, and they'll develop the property as single-family and commercial. The development, which is known as Brittany Square today, consists of 280 single-family homes. And then, as we talked about before, there's a small retail center there that's 15,000 square feet, just a fraction of the building that was originally proposed it was an overall good development. It was a million-dollar contribution that it took to underwrite that development, but it took up a ghetto uh, and turned it into a rose. Well, and coming up, we're going to have Jerry Hart, who has been with the city for, wow, I don't know how many years, 30-plus, I have to imagine. And he was a young building inspector at the time, and I know he's got some funny side stories about the white elephant. And I also know that he's going to share with us some photos of what this thing looked like back then that he has pulled out of his file. And we'll get that up on our website so people can see what we're talking about. But I guess I can tease one of the one of the side stories that I think Jerry might get into is as we're demolishing this building and assisting it, there is a local demolition company that bids on on the demo part of this ends up buying the building and and we can chat with jerry about where that ended up so the white elephant still lives today john it just doesn't live in the city of champlin and what does live there now is el toro cullen's ice cream and some other folks so uh yeah let's let's take a break bring jerry in and get his take from the building inspection side and what he had to deal with on this project. Sounds great. We'll take a brief announcement. And on the other end, we'll talk with Jerry Hart, who actually began his service with the city of Champlin in 1984. You can now check us out on Facebook at The Champlin Project or visit our website at thechamplinproject.com. On our website, you can find out more about us, our stories, our guests, or tell us how we're doing or what stories you'd like to hear. And if you like us, tell your friends and neighbors and give us a like and a share on Facebook. Welcome back. And as promised, we have a special guest with us uh, this morning, Jerry Hart the building inspector from the city of Champlin. Before we get to Jerry, John, 
You have a long history with Jerry Hart. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who we're hearing from? So Jerry is another one of these individuals that I would love to say that I hired, but I didn't. I came on board in 1994. Jerry come on board in 1984, and that's one of the reasons why we'll be talking with Jerry. But Jerry is now the building official for the city, has been in that capacity for a good number of years, is approaching his 40th anniversary with the city. And I'll just I'll just tell you this, that there's nobody that I admire more over at the city of Champlain than Jerry. He took the city of Champlain through the analog to the digital age. There was a host of issues, as there is in any community, as it grows, matures, develops. And Jerry, you recall these these days, but I remember settling homes was an area that part of the community where homes were settling and you and the staff had to really step in and work with homeowners to help fix that situation with their sinking foundations. You saw the city as it matured from single family homes to commercial, to multifamily, to industrial. You were there through the complete development of the Elm Creek Crossings area and Elm Creek Parkway area. And then I remember the Great Recession and how you stepped up. We didn't see too many building permits during the Great Recession, but we had a lot of foreclosures. We had a lot of vacant homes. And you and your staff were able to kind of shepherd the city through that process. And so I... My 25 years there, I greatly appreciated having Jerry next to me as we kind of move through a lot of those issues. So, Jerry, welcome to the Champlin Project. Thank you. So, Jerry, we're going to get right into our story. This takes us back to the 70s, which predates you. But then you arrive on the scene, as John said, in 1984. And one of the issues you're confronted with is a project affectionately called the Great White Elephant. <laughs> Tell us what you remember about this project. Uh, to be honest, it was kind of interesting but unique. Uh, one day I was just uh, had an inspection scheduled to go out and uh, drive up this old beat-up driveway off of Douglas Drive back to this facility that was boarded up over the doors, et cetera, but there was one panel open. And I went in and there was a contractor forming up about a 20 by 20 square for concrete floor. I really didn't know why I was there, but I, I did my task, filled out my sheet and brought it back only to learn later because I inquired that uh, this was going to be an ongoing thing and has been an ongoing thing because the permit needed to be kept alive. And by the state building code requirements of permits, good for 180 days from the last documented activity. So tell us, what did it look like on the inside of this building? I have recollections, but I want to hear from the building inspector. What were your impressions when you walked inside this thing? It was fascinating. I mean, you just couldn't quite understand what was going on because at one end there was heavy equipment that was sheltered in there. I think there was an old grater. There might have been a front end loader and a possible uh Cement truck, and then just floor, nothing, holes in the ceiling, or in the roof that had occurred over time, and band aids that had put on openings that were open to trespass with the corrugated metal, and dark. And that was it. And plenty of evidence of trespassing. Would you agree? <laughs> oh yes, for sure. Yes, the mattresses, other things, campfires. Yeah, you name it, you could see it in there. 20 by 20. Are we talking about 20 feet by 20 feet? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So one concrete pad, and he had to do that once every six months? Yes. Yes. To keep his permit. And I would assume the, the slab was based on a load of concrete for a truck, so it was efficient. One truck out, pour it. So as you're a brand new building inspector in the city of Champlain, are you wondering to yourself, what in the world am I getting myself into in this community? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, there was an occasion I went and did a plumbing rough in, uh, a little ground run and things. And I, I was perplexed on how you knew where to put the plumbing because there was no plan. It was just put in the ground. It wasn't attached to anything, but it looked good. It held air. And there were no plans. There was no proposed user at that time either, right? They were no. just putting in plumbing. <laughs> right. Cheaper venue than concrete. I don't know. So it was apparent to you that this developer had no plans of ever finishing this building, right? Uh, I, I would have to say I don't know because there was constant activity and discussions at the uh, administration council level about, about the building that were ongoing. So I know at one point there was proposed to be a restaurant in part of it and then a BMX dirt track in another part of it. And I wasn't clear in my mind how that was going to be accomplished. <laughs> well, it would certainly be a nice sit-down restaurant next to a BMX dirt track. <laughs> it made your mind wonder just a little bit. <laughs> so this building was it was tip-up panels that he was building on site and it was totally enclosed from the wall perspective? It was totally enclosed. Doors were put in. A metal roof was on top, but over time had become tattered, open, wind damaged, what have you. Uh, I do recall hearing the story about the panels being made on site as the owner developer had a concrete plant. Initially, there was problems with the panels. They were breaking and they had to tweak something. And then they made them the decorative uh, scored panels that were put up. So, yeah, that was it was quite a history there but just not knowing exactly what was ever going to take place. Nobody seemed to have a good idea. So, Jerry, I've got to share a story with you that we heard about this project and see if it refreshes your memory at all. Uh, ultimately, when the council finally does reach an agreement with uh, Ramsey and Wiedema and Vern Reynolds to knock this thing down and redevelop it, story that we've been told is that uh, – that group went out for bids to demolish the building. They had estimated the engineers that it would take about $200,000 to tear it down and remove it. And uh, the story goes that they got a bid from Vite Construction for $7,500 to tear this thing down and remove it. And they just couldn't believe that price. And they called Von Veit and Bill Ramsey did. And just to say, listen, we got your bid. Is this the right number? And Vaughn said, well, $7,500, is that what you got? And Bill said, yeah. He said, yeah, that's the number. The next lowest bid was $175,000. <laughs> I don't know if you recall this at all. I do. Uh, oh. the, interesting, the interesting thing was, is I know what happened after that, too. Uh, we issued a demolition permit, and I witnessed the panels in the bar joist all being numbered in a sequential pattern and identified on location. Then slowly the roof came off, then the bar joist came off, and then they started taking panel by panel and loading them on a truck and shipping them to a southern community. I think it was Shakopee or Savage 
only to learn that the building was going to be re- uh, erected down there. <laughs> so Vaughn was uh, Vaughn had a plan for this, and uh, that's why the bid was so low. And story goes that building exists today down there somewhere, Chaska, Shakopee, some southern community. I've heard that. I've I don't know where it is, but I've and I've never seen it, but I have heard that. Yes. Well, uh, let's so pa- let's not pretend that we didn't know that Chakopee gets her hand-me-downs. Come on. <laughs> Par- parts of Champlin are strewn all over the metro, Jerry. <laughs> Once we're used with them, we pass them on. <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting feat to watch that come down. Uh, the building was corbelled offset as you move through different sections of it. So it was a large building. I don't recall what the square footage of it was, but it was fairly large. So in your 40 years as uh, one of the building officials for the city of Champlin, have you ever since seen a, qu- a project quite like this one? I know you got a lot of history. No, the other, I guess the second one, that, not even close to that, would be Sam Marfield over in, I forget the name of the subdivision, right where Buffalo Wild Wings was, had a strip mall proposed there, got the footings and foundation up the grade only to ask for a demolition permit to yank it out. Because uh, obviously what moved on there was Buffalo Wild Wings and a couple other tenants moved into that space. So that was interesting also. Start but never finished. You know, we had Sam on just uh, a few episodes ago, and and he spoke about that overall development. It's funny that you remember that. Just one of the interesting things. (laughs) Well, Jerry, thank you for all that you do and for the city of Champlin and the residents there. I can attest firsthand in terms of the uh, the quality and the professionalism that you bring to the task. And thank you for joining us on the on the Champlin project as well. It's good to have your input and thoughts back that go back to 1984. Thanks for the invite. I enjoyed it. All right, so don't retire, Jerry, because uh, we've got upcoming episodes that I think you might be able to weigh in on, all right? (laughs) Thank you. Always available. Reach out. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you so much, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of The Champlin Project. We will see you soon.